Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the spice addiction to my war on drugs, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I didn't. I didn't hear that comma. The comma is really important in that statement. <laughs> it was in there. I promise. Yeah, I, I didn't hear. It seemed like it went by. It, it's war on drugs. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to see the comma because something's up with it grammatically. It doesn't like it, and there's a big blue line underneath it, obscuring the comma. <laughs> There's a big blue line underneath comedy, it means. Apparently, grammatically, you're incorrect. Comedically, I am 100% correct. <laughs> As always, let's get this episode started with a big old thank you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't do my thing. I didn't do my thing. Hello, hello. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. As always, let's get this episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on, and uh, in this case, we're we're kicking the dust off and taking all the white sheets off the equipment because it's been a minute, Robert. That's actually oddly topical for our, our King movie today. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like it's I just watched it. Went full circle. And something else I've been watching. Full circle. All right. Where were we? I, I am so distracted right now. I was up uh, way too You're late. about to tell us about what day it is, buddy. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it's National uh, Eat a Hoagie Day. I can get behind that. When I was on vacation and I was eating like hot garbage, but oh my God, Oh my God, did I discover something while I was in Oceanside, Jonathan. Not, not just your fine breakfast restaurant, but there was something else over there. There was something else that was amazing. But I ate like such garbage. I went to Subway and I had them make me a sandwich with like just all the vegetables on it. And let me tell you, it tasted like gold because I'd been eating so bad. Like my body just craved fiber to just shovel it all out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was just eating like, oh, this is so delicious. All this spinach and lettuce and roughage <laughs> and i i it had to have been bad it had to have been because my daughter uh she she got more hot garbage and she was like looking at my sandwich she's like we need to get a sandwich tomorrow daddy that looks way too good and i'm like uh you know what we're gonna talk about this first i discovered something in oceanside jonathan it was amazing it was amazing it's called zang's hot dogs it's zang the way you think it's spelled but with an extra z up front so it's double z a and J and uh, yeah, yeah, those are good. So instead of uh, doing the, the corn, it's a corn dog basically, but instead of doing the corn dog uh, with uh, cornmeal, they do it with rice flour. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of them. There's one down uh, near where I grew up in, in off of Balboa too. Yeah. 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 I don't know that they started in San Diego, but I know there's a couple of them there. Yeah. So, but you can, you can get it where the corn dog is covered in potatoes. So it's like eating your French fries and your hot dog on a stick. It's amazing. I'm not seeing anything wrong with any of that. Yeah, no, we, we ate it twice and that was when, but that was the garbage I needed to like purge from my system with the Subway sandwich where it's like, what would you like? I'm like extra lettuce and extra spinach. They looked at me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just all the vegetables. I don't even usually get tomatoes. I'm not a big fan of tomatoes, but I did it because I just needed more roughage. (laughs) <laughs> i can't blame you um i had some terrible food the other day and all i wanted the next day was a salad from salada mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah just you know by fiber be purged 
All right, sorry, sorry. We yeah, eat eat that hoagie. That's the important bit. Eat the hoagie day. Today is eat that hoagie. Saying so, man. They have squid ink corn uh, rice dogs. I guess they're black. I'm down. Anyway, Jonathan, sorry. Go on. I mean, nothing you're saying here is 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 negatively impacting my life. I'm totally down with all of it. Well, that of course brings us and and we should start this episode off with a big apology because there's every chance in the world that. We're not going to know what the hell to do because it's been what? It's been like a month and a half. Yeah, yeah. The vacations didn't line up well. Yes. No, no. Yes. I wasn't kidding about having to dust off equipment. My soundboard was dusty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get started with our first segment of the day. That is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. This is probably going to be long, so we should probably make a make it a point to try and not be super long here. But you uh, know what? It's surprising how little I did in in. <laughs> month and a half because oh really yeah. yeah i'm like did i forget things early on and i i don't think i did it's i just, just I realized had a good... that i filled mine in under the fmd fan section <laughs> well then there you go well where do you want to get it started i'm gonna let you kick us off in the uh the the, the post hiatus all right all right all right all right uh well let us start with video games because i only have one well two technically but i didn't write that other one down uh, video games. Let's see. I have played three. Well, there you go. So begin. I've got one. I finally got my, my PS5. I finally found it. one. Shout out mm-hmm. to uh, one of my best friends in the world, Steve Lucas. Thank you very much. Uh, he helped me acquire one. And yeah, good stuff. Actually, it was while I was on vacation, which was crazy. You know, it's, you know, it's nuts. I was at Costco the other day and you could buy the, not the good Xbox, but the bad Xbox, the cheapo one. But they had them. Yeah, no, they're pretty. They're pretty uh, available now. The the Series S is. Yeah, but it uses. A, I, I think it uses an easier to acquire chipset. Yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. Because he doesn't listen to it, I can say this. We, we've been talking about you know what to get Carlos for uh, for Christmas, and since he's our video game player, that's kind of the direction we're leaning. So that's good to know. Because mm-hmm. who knows? At the rate life is going, it might be another eighteen months before I see another PS Five for sale. Mm. yeah maybe yeah maybe yeah. i'm not at all angry at scalpers they have literally made this console launch just a ginormous hellscape of of not fun yeah so yeah ratchet clank man what a gem what a lovely little gem of a game i am so in love with it it's just great platforming great shooting great storytelling and man does it look good yeah that one blew my mind because there's the level early on when you're running through that airport and there were so many just random folks milling about. And I'm like, wow, this, this new console generation is no joke. Like the, the graphics are improved, but like not by a ton, but just the, the sheer amount of crap on screen in one go is, is actually very impressive. It, in old games, you used to like, I'm walking through a forest where there's a bad 2D tree every like 50 or 60 feet. And it's like, that's not a forest. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now it's like we can do this stuff justice. It's amazing. It almost makes me want to buy Skyrim again. Just just to see it on the PS5 hardware and see if it's better. But did, yeah. did you ever study the trees on, in Mario on the N64? Yeah, they're like 2D sprites. The, yeah, that, that basically just turn with you. And so no mm-hmm. matter where you put Mario, the same face of the tree is always facing you. It's like those creepy paintings that follow you around the room. <laughs> <laughs> so how far are you in Ratchet and Clank? I, only, I didn't get very far. I am very near the right. end. I think I've got maybe one or two levels left. That's it. Nice. 
So yeah, Ratchet and Clank is an absolute gem. If you like platforming, if you like shooting, if you like good oh. storytelling, oh my, jump Jonathan. on it. You, you are you're okay. So I've I've had bad experiences with this next thing I see on your list. And uh, how how is that Aliens Fire Team? I'm having a lot of fun with it. Is it perfect? No. Is it a really fun co-op experience that I only paid forty bucks for? Yeah. Is it Colonial Marines? You mean like the game? Yeah, that, that God, no. fire of a game. No, this okay. is competent. Okay. <laughs> this isn't a hot dumpster fire that's been doused with kerosene. All right. This is this is a very well put together game with actually a surprisingly deep set of RPG elements. What really kind of lets it down is some lackluster voice acting and and just kind of a flat story. But it's it's good. It does everything justice, and the co op makes it really really super fun. Like playing it with with two other people is really enjoyable. Oh hey, they have that in my library. It's it's right. worth the you, money. You can, it's worth the money. You convinced me. I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I'll play it with you. Well, I'm going to have to get on the PlayStation, so can you play it with me? Yes, I can. I'll play it or, with you. Or, or Oh, you got it on the PlayStation, not the Xbox. No, I got it on PC, but I've, I've got several PlayStation friends that want to play it, and so I'm. Let, let me put it to you this way. I'm not opposed to buying a second copy of it to play with my friends because it's that kind of good. Mm, right. Now, I don't know what's going to happen as we get deeper and deeper into the holiday season. I think that their Stroke of Brilliance was releasing it in August. <laughs> it's a good August game. It's a great August game. I would nice. say it's a fantastic August game. All right. What's this last thing I see on your list? Uh, finally, there's Assetto Corso, which is a very, very, very semi racing game. And uh. it supports VR and it supports my wheel and shifter. And yeah. Well, I bought a gem of a game, Jonathan. It is called Chroma Squad. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I was texting on. you about it. So the answer is yes. But... I, but it like I feel like oh yeah 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 now now that I see the, the the screen I have heard about it it looks dope yeah yeah so the it's it, Brazilian it's basi- in origin yeah it, it is Brazilian in origin so the it's basically it's a uh, tactical Power Rangers RPG but the twist is you are not playing like actual Power Rangers you are playing the actors playing Power Rangers and so yeah that's what you're ex- telling me which is dope yeah so instead of like trying to get experience points and whatnot you're trying to get ratings and fans. So you can, you know, keep the show afloat because the more ratings you get, the more money you get. The more dollar dollar bills, bling, woo. So yeah, it's it's a fun game. The uh, the tactical combat's oddly deep. Like it's got some really good twists on on the standard thing. So I'm I'm having a really good time with it. And the story's just weird and you know, self-referential and and you know, very into it's very meta, but it's fun. It's a good twist on the system. Cause I mean, let's be fair. I like I like the Power Rangers in theory. But you you don't watch that for the stories. You watch it to see cool models and cardboard box people beat each other up, you know? It's like Godzilla, only crappier. Yeah. So anyway, highly recommend. It was like five bucks on the Switch. Well worth the five bucks. I think I've sunk about 18 hours into it. And I'm, it's already paid know. itself off and then some. That's, that's how there I feel go. about Aliens. Like, it, it was a, a, a $40 game, and I think I had $10 in credits, so I didn't even pay full price for it. And, I mean, like, I've easily gotten... 25 30 hours out of it i got my money's worth well there you go what do you want to move on to sir uh you chose games so i'll say let's do movies and tv all right should we get the things i know we've both seen out of the way yeah let's do it all right uh i'm assuming you watched what if and no i have not yet which is why it's not on the list so don't spoil anything my god it came out at a really odd time and it's been super super busy at work like 
Yeah, I mean, I could have watched it, but I got sucked into these shows and I wanted to finish these other shows. Uh, okay, okay. Well, okay. So, what if the show, spoiler-free review, it's fun, it's good times, much like the comic it's based on, it gets pretty dark because, you know, it, it, it it's the what-if comics back in the day were always about that, you know, the road not traveled, which is to say the road where people die or awful things happen. You know, it's like, what if this awful thing happened? What? How would that affect stuff? And, and yeah, what-if definitely plays on that. Um, but, uh, rest in peace, Chadwick, uh, he comes back to play T'Challa. Oh, I I heard his, his performance is really good too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a interesting episode. Uh, so I won't spoil what happens in it, but yeah, so far so good. It's been kind of fun to watch. Uh, and, and, uh, lower decks, uh, this season's been interesting because one of the problems they had the first go around, you know, was it was always, um, Boimler and Mariner and then Tindy and the other guy. Shoot. What's his name? Anyway, they always divided them up in in this pairing that seemed to happen every time. And so this season, they they realized that was kind of a thing they accidentally did and wrote themselves into a corner. So they've been going way out of their way to make sure that they've been pairing everybody up in, in new situations. So, you know, like Mary or Tindy and yeah, everybody. In, yeah, it's good times. It's nice having uh, the other people play off each other. What have you been watching? Tell me something. I'm excited to watch that What If. I really am. I, it's very high on my list. The rumor is, the rumor, and I don't know if this is just people talking on the internet, not knowing anything, or if this is like an actual rumor that came from somewhere, but the thought is that the last episode of the season will have an after credit sequence, and it will be revealed that it'll be part of uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That's, I've been, I've been hearing buzz about that on, on the internet, but I don't know if that's just hopeful nonsense that people want to believe, or if it's, you know, true, or from actual stuff. Looks dope. I mean, like, I'm really excited about it. And if they made it part of the whole multiverse thing, that would just be even better. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Do you, you want to go back and forth t- or what? Yeah, let's go back and forth. But hold on, hold on, hold on. You joined the cultural zeitgeist. I did? How so? So, uh, Ted Lasso. Like, I hadn't heard about that show. And then all of a sudden, everybody seems to be talking about that show and how good it is. I was just going to say, I've had several friends telling me about it for months. And I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then finally, one of my friends is like, look, man, like I was having a really rough day. I, I had a, a big project on my plate and it was just kind of got to the end of the day and I was beaten, frustrated. And, you know, it's like it, it, so stuff happens. It happens. Right. And my friend was like, dude, you need to smile. And I'm like, you know what? I really do. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. And he's like, go watch an episode of Ted Lasso. I promise you a won't be able to stop and B will just feel so good at the end of it. So I went and did it, and damn it, not only was my buddy right, I think it might be the best show I've ever seen. Wow, really? <laughs> not that it's, like, the best written, not that it's the best performed, but damn, you feel good at the end of every episode. You just come away smiling, and you're just like, wow, you know, like, I feel really good. <laughs> it's entertainment that makes you feel good, and that, that doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Like, let me ask you this. You're watching, ha- uh, you know, Haunting of Hill House. When you get to the end of the episode, are you like, damn, I feel great? Or are you like, <laughs> wow, that was heavy? Uh, yeah, that second one. Which is not to say that it's not amazing, because it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. But, you know. All right, all right. Well, no spoilers. I'm sure I'll get around to that sooner or later. It's good. It is fantastic. It is beyond fantastic. Oh, and he watched uh, uh, Ron Moore's new joint, uh, For All Mankind. That's the one about the alternate history space race. Oh, and that was amazing. 
that was the first the first season is good the second season i would consider it one of the most perfect seasons of television i've ever seen wow it don't they is, jump ahead in like decades like isn't the second so season the, about the, the first one the first takes one. place uh in the early 70s like mm-hmm. 70 to 74 or 75 and okay. then right at the end of it it jumps forward 10 years no i guess five years and then the second season is like 80 to 85 interesting so a lot a lot of time goes by between episodes yeah but i mean think about it like they're taking two or three week trips to the moon so they don't show you all the you know nonsense in the middle they're they're, they're that's just true. That's true. letting you jump ahead but they're they're also cognizant of the fact that that means time is passing but these are really really incredible characters hmm. is that worth a watch i can't decide if i want to care about that or not you know I'll be honest with you. I watched the first episode quite some time ago and didn't catch me right away. And I was kind of letting it go. And then a buddy of mine was like, dude, seriously, I know what you like. You like good dramas. Let it simmer. Let it do its thing. Season two is amazing. Yeah. Season two is perfect. It's a perfect. It's a perfect execution of a season of television. It's up there with like Battlestar Galactica season two. Sounds like I'll have to get the Apple TV soon. You know, five bucks, you'll get through Ted Lasso season one and two and For All Mankind season one and two. And it's <laughs> worth it. And they're both coming back for season three. So I had a weird I had a weird thing. OK, so it, <clears throat> it doesn't sound like I've, I've watched a lot, but I've watched a lot. So I uh, started watching the DC animated movie universe, which is good. So if you don't know what that is, basically, uh, they started I, I have re- a box set. I, I've, I've been slowly chipping away through that. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts with a movie they did called Justice League Flashpoint, the Flashpoint Paradox, which is loosely based off of the new 52, the Flashpoint miniseries. And then there's like 15 movies and uh, they're, they're all maybe not interconnected necessarily, but they all have the same characters. They exist in the same universe. And, you know, it's surprising. Like I haven't watched any one movie out of it that was mind-blowingly like this is amazing this is wow you know like i haven't seen anything like that but everything's been incredibly solid like extremely solid and way better storytelling than everything we else we've gotten from the dc you know movie universe as genuinely good uh, uh, or as genuinely rough as their feature film universe is in terms of quality I got to tell you, man, their animated stuff, just like their TV stuff, is just off the wall better than it, it has any means or a, any any business being, you know? And so far, the standout uh, was the third movie, Son of Batman, which is about Damian Wayne, who he is my he's one of my favorite characters that I hate because like, you know, I tell people I really like Damian Wayne and they like fight me on it because Damian Wayne's awful. And I, I and and. Like, I agree with them the whole time, but like Damian Wayne does a really good job of like stirring the pot and, you know, cause he's a hard person to like, but he's Batman's kid. So you kind of like have to, <laughs> and maybe it's cause, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my dad had his own law firm and I was like, you know, the boss's kid. So people had to like put up with me and, and maybe I'm, I'm getting a little bit too much from that, you know, like, like reminiscing about that time in my life a little bit too much out of this. But yeah, I, I love Love the Damien Wayne in that. And he is great because he pisses everybody off and it's it's exquisite. It's so much fun. 
So the ones I watched so far are uh, we didn't watch Flashpoint because I watched it a long time ago. And I didn't really like it all that much. But we watched uh, Justice League War, Son of Batman, Throne of Atlantis, Batman versus Robin, Batman Bad Blood, Justice League versus the Teen Titans, Justice League Dark, Teen Titans: The Judas Contract, and the Suicide Squad: Hell to Pay. And yeah, all of those are better than anything they've produced, except for maybe. Uh, oh, that, that is something I watched. I watched the The Suicide Squad. Did we talk about that last time? It's been a long time. I guess not. But yeah, yeah, the animated one was better, at least than the original. I thought and, we talked James, a little bit about it. Yeah, uh, had we had we both not watched it yet or something? I don't remember. Uh, I don't think you'd watch it yet. I okay. Have. Well, I, I I watched it. So it's well, goofy okay. fun. It, yeah, definitely the best thing DC's put out. I like it, but it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I think, is a way better movie because it's got something to say where, uh, you know, about family and, and Lindsay Ellis did a breakdown about it, about narcissism and, and all this stuff. And, and she talks about that movie a lot. She really likes it. But yeah, just the Suicide Squad, it just was, you know, James Gunn going, you know, wild and just writing stuff. And like, I liked a lot of elements of it, but yeah, I don't know if I thought it was a great film because it didn't really, I don't think it had anything really particularly to say. Like, you know, it wasn't like Guardians where it's about family or, you know, stuff. It was just kind of cool things happening on the screen. And it was entertaining, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know how I felt about that one. Like, like I said, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Definitely not James Gunn's b- best work, but it's infinitely quotable and it is funny and fun. Yeah. And charming. And King Shark, it's charming. And King Shark is always amazing. King Shark totally steals that movie. Have you watched the Harley Quinn cartoon? Because King Shark's amazing in that. I love the character. No, no, I haven't. I need to. I need to. Yeah. yeah. Does Sylvester Stallone do the voice? Because that's the only voice I hear when I, when I hear King Shark. Now. No, no, this other guy does it. And, and King Shark in that is a hacker, and he's not he's not stupid. He's kind of a weirdo. He's he's funny. And then every so often he smells blood and just eats people. And 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 it's like that movie. Like they'll be breaking into a place and he'll just pick up a guard and bite him in half and then drop his legs. <laughs> and, and very nonchalant. Anyway, anyway, yes, DC animated universe is very good. And as you mentioned, I started binging the haunting of Hill House. We got the shining coming up in the next segment. And then I watched a little bit of Dr. Sleep because I just wanted to see how they tied together for a little bit. And I'm like, what has that guy been up to? And then I realized he did the haunting of Hill house. And I'm like, oh, I should watch that. I really like his stuff. And I am on episode six and I started watching it like 10 last night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I watched crap. You, you, you made some headway. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm on episode eight. Come to think of it. I'm almost done with episode eight. And yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Mistakes were made. I, I watched three episodes last night and I was up way too late. And then, you know what? You know, it's funny about watching spoopy ghost stories all night. It's kind of hard to fall asleep afterward. You know, like my foot would come <laughs> out from underneath the blanket. And I'm like, I got to tuck that foot. Man, and in. that one that one in particular is creepy. Yeah. Have you seen any of the, the ghosts hanging out in the background? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really good about that. I hear they do that a lot more in Bly Manor. But yeah, they're just everywhere. I, they're everywhere when you least expect yeah. it. Well, I'm done. So what else have you watched? Uh, what else have I watched? Um, yeah, Ted Lasso for All Mankind. We already talked about that. I sat down and watched Aliens with Chloe. It was just as entertaining as watching her watch Alien. Uh, there was a lot of talking <laughs> at the, the, scre- the, the screen. Nice. She said she enjoyed it better. She thought it was more exciting. Yeah, that. well, it's an action movie. That makes sense. Are you yeah. going to continue on with three and... Resurrection? Or are you just gonna pretend those don't exist? And just oh stop? man, three is 
three is a beautiful mess. And what I mean by that is there's a lot to like in there because it's David Fincher. But man, like there are some things that where you can tell the studio is like snippy snip and it just falls apart. It's rough. So I don't know. I'll ask her. I'll, I'll warn her that they're not great. But Resurrection is goofy. It's goofy in a fun way. Oh, man. I hated that movie. It's so, so freaking French. <laughs> Like, it's so French it hurts. That's true. Like it's it's like Art Nouveau alien movie. Yeah, yeah. It true. really is. That's that's what makes it kind of some somewhat creepy charming. You know, people dog on it a lot, but I thought the second AVP movie was actually surprisingly good because I I mean it's it's not good. It's it's kind not of a good, bad but it's I know what you mean. It's it's good enough. It it subverts a lot of expectations. Uh, which I enjoyed. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it was, I mean, it was kind of so bad. It was good. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that, that, that series goes downhill fast, much like Terminator. I think they just need to stop making, honestly, I think they need to stop making predator Terminator and aliens movies. Cause I don't know what else there is to say about any of that. I mean, you, you could do it like I a TV series. I wouldn't mind more exploration of the alien universe as long as it is handed to a storyteller. Well, yeah, but even then, Prometheus and those other ones, like, visually, they were neat to look at, and they tried to do a story, but they just failed at it. Like, I, I think you could do a TV show, because a TV show could have a point. Yeah. And it could have a, it could have a arc. Like, the, the, the problem with Prometheus is that the, the, the core of the movie got left on the editing room floor. Like, have you ever read the shooting script? Yeah, I have. I, and, and I actually read the original script that the guy before Lindoff did, and it was much yeah, better. They're really good. They're really, 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 really good. And the, the whole core of the, the, you know, you must destroy to create. And that's like the whole core of the, the engineer's religion is amazing. And like, wow, that did that not translate on the screen? <laughs> it's like they just totally forgot to tell us what was going on. But I yeah, don't they think- are gorgeous. I, I don't think you need to explain everything because you don't there's something need to explain about everything. Uh, there's something about a story that draws you in where you can start like guessing like that. That is a storytelling technique that works. But the problem is there needs to be something there to build off of. And uh, Prometheus, at the very least, didn't really do a good job of that. Like they had a lot of like open ended questions. But at the end, there wasn't much room to build a foundation on about speculation and stuff, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I see here you watched The Jungle Cruise with The Rock. It has The Rock, right? It does have The Rock and my future ex-wife, Emily Blunt. Fun. So I've heard it's kind of a weird rehash of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's what the pitch meeting dude said. It's, how shall I put this? Like, it could exist in the same universe as Pirates of the Caribbean. So Mm -hmm. here's my hot take on it. If Pirates of the Caribbean and The Mummy had a baby, it would be The Jungle Cruise. And in many respects, that works because it's fun and it's got this certain charm to it. Where it kind of falls apart is The Rock has charm. I don't think he has this flavor of charm. Does that make sense? That makes sense. This is not his wheelhouse. He's not a um he's not a John Krasinski. Okay. If you'd put John Krasinski in this, doing kind of like the same charm that Brendan Fraser had, I think it would have worked better. His charm works hmm. better in a different way. Like he's too cool for this role. That's that's one of the big problems. This this character is too cool for this role. For everything that works, the biggest issue with the movie is that the movie does not set up the magic early enough. And there is magic in the movie, right? Which is why it could exist in the same pi- uh, universe as Pirates of the Caribbean. And Pirates of the Caribbean sets up that magic very early and then and kind of like creates some rules for using it. And this one, 
it plays it straight for far too long. And then when they introduce the magic, you're like, oh, wow, this feels like a 90 degree right hand turn. Okay. I dig it. I dig it. I'm probably not going to. Is it on premium? I think. I think it is. I'm not going to spend money to watch that. Uh, It was on premium. I don't know how much longer. I don't think much longer. All right. What do you want to move on to? Uh, I chose movies and TV, so it's your turn. All right. Well, let's talk about reading because I, I want to talk about this. All right. I'm actually in two Kickstarters right now because the Delta Green Kickstarter that I talked about last episode, uh, it is, it has actually stuff that I don't have in it. It's, and, and so I'm like, oh, cool. So I'm in for that one for a little bit. Not a ton, not a ton, but a little bit. But, okay, so I stumbled onto this one called Historica Arcanum, the City of the Crescent for 5th Edition Dungeons & Dragons. And what it is, is it's a group of nerds from Turkey that got together and decided to make a D&D book. And I love it. I love everything about it. Because, one, I kind of have this weird obsession with people who aren't, like, you know, European and white making D&D content because it's a different point of view, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And these guys certainly have that. And they're just such – and they're so earnest and they're just such geeks. And I – oh, God. I just love this team, Jonathan. I I love everything about them. (laughs) And so they released a a 30-page preview, which I read. And there's a lot of cute little content in it. Like, I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but there's apparently uh, these blocks in the uh, uh, the shoot the the thing with water in it underneath Istanbul. It's about fantasy Istanbul, basically. Uh, cistern, the cistern under Istanbul. There's these blocks that are shaped in the in the shape of Medusa's head, and so they kind of like grab that nugget. And so in fan, fantasy Istanbul, it's not just this like random block. It is actually factually Medusa petrified by Perseus is down there with her head reattached. Cause apparently they just, after the head got chopped off, they put the statue head back on. And uh, of course, cause it's a Dungeons and Dragons game. She is near the entrance to a dungeon that exists underneath the, uh, underneath the city. And it, it's just stuff like that, you know, where they take little touristy bits and then they sort of embellish it and, you know, throw it into fantasy Istanbul. And I, I think it's, it's a very clever idea. And I don't think unless you like lived in that city or visited it frequently, you know, like you would pick up on some of this stuff, which is what makes it fun. Uh, the other thing I really like is they're co- there's a, there's a faction you can join. Cause you know, every, every city has factions and it's called the council of the ninth life. And basically Alice in Wonderland style, every time there's a, uh, a new, like really super crescent moon, you know, the one that's in the Cheshire cat smile, uh, intelligent cats, come from around the city and have a little conference and uh, they're basically a thieves guild, but they're a thieves guild run by cats. And I think that's adorable and it's great. And the little picture they have next to it, one of the cats is wearing a fez and it's amazing and I love it. And it's just, it's the best. And, uh, and to get the fatty in you, there's, they just met a stretch goal where they're going to release a snack book so you can have authentic Turkish gaming snacks. And I'm like, Oh, I know. Right. Like, oh, I, I just really love everything like about this. Food too. Turkish food is good. I have no idea what it is. I've probably had it and not known it. But you know what? I'm going to get the snack book now, and I'm excited. So, yeah. No, it's it's super it's super cool. They have a Discord channel they chat on, and they're they're just nice people. And so do, you know. do you like like uh, Greek and Eastern Mediterranean, like shawarma and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Then you're going to love Turkish food. It's, it's there you very go. Mediterranean. Like, you see pitas and fig and grape leaves and and you know stuffed leaves and stuff like that it's just yummy oh my well i'm excited so 
Yeah, and these people don't nearly have as much money as they pos- they should have because this this thing looks amazing. It's it's exactly why Kickstarter should exist. It's for people who, you know, wouldn't ordinarily get a shot to produce a really nice looking D and D book. Getting to produce a D and D book, and I love oh, it. Oh man! Now you got me thinking about like Turkish kebabs and oh god, damn it! <laughs> I had some what Turkish ravioli once. Oh my god. What's in Turkish ravioli? Oh, happiness. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to put it. Just happiness. All right, all right. Let's see if there's a Turkish restaurant around here. Oh, yeah, that one place. Lebanese. Does that count? No, Lebanese is no, no, a little bit different. A little bit different, yeah. Like, all Mediterranean food has a lot of similarity, which makes a lot whoa, of sense. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, there is a straight Turkish restaurant very close to my house. Holy crap. Oh, you have to let me know if it's good. Or even better yet, you have to take me there. No, oh, are you coming back? I yeah, I would like to. <laughs> I mean, last time I tried, like a whole friggin' worldwide pandemic happened, so I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I'm, I, I would really like to. It's 10 minutes. Oh, my God. I can't wait to tell the wife about it. Oh, it's right by there. I've been here. How did I not see this place? Well, we won't have to correct that mistake. I'm excited. Oh, that's why. It's on the back. Okay. This is riveting radio. I apologize. All right. right. Well, that's what I've read. What what do we got left? Yeah, You got to tell me what you read. Uh, Okay. So I finished. I think I'd started Chasing the Dragon when we chatted last, right? Chasing the Dragon, is that about doing heroin? No, it's it's another Galaxy's Edge book. Okay. So if I hadn't, I read Chasing the Dragon, and I finished whatever it was that I was Because I did like three Galaxy's Edge books in a row. And then I needed a break, not because Chasing the Dragon was bad, but because I just needed something different. And so Apple TV is going to have Foundation, the TV show soon. And it's probably been 10, 15 years since I read Foundation. So I decided to read the trilogy again. Okay. So I'm currently reading the first Foundation book, which is, of course, a collection of short stories, which is, I don't know, I think it's greatest weakness, it, which is definitely patched with the next Foundation books. But man, it's, you forget how interesting those stories are, that, that you know, basically manipulation of the masses with, with uh, proper application of science and psychology. Not that that would ever happen. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to read that. I got on this classic sci-fi kick a couple of years ago, and I meant to add that to the list. It never happened. If Isaac Asimov had been alive in the time of AIs and algorithms and social media, good God, the stories that man would have told. But yeah, I really like Asimov. He's, he's got an interesting writing style. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm currently about three quarters of the way through Foundation, and then I will be reading the next two books in the trilogy back to back. Nice. And hopefully the Foundation TV show doesn't suck. <laughs> uh, Asimov, yeah, much like like Herbert, that's a tough one to that's a tough one to capture, man. Yeah, <clears throat> indeed, indeed. All right, well that brings us to board games. Which uh, let's talk about what we did together. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I mean, welcome to Seven Wonders. We've covered those extensively. Should we talk a little bit about Railroad Inc. or should we review it? Uh, maybe we should review it at some point. I think we should review it. Suffice it to say that we've been playing Railroad, Railroad Inc. We liked it so much, uh, we all, we bought the app version so we could play it more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we will, we, will, we will save this for a proper deep dive, a proper review, and I'll go get a physical copy so that we can, we can compare. And nice. 
Yeah, you you better actually get on that because it apparently is getting out of print because the the they did a Kickstarter to basically do a second printing slash expansion, which is the green and the yellow versions. And uh, my local game store had the red version, but yeah, I don't know if I. <sighs> I got the app. I just don't know if I have the crew to play it here because I don't have any friends here. Well, we can try. Uh-huh. We can try. <laughs> anyway, if you can get your hands on it, like do it fast because I, I think it's out of print. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. So, yeah, we played those three together and we'll talk about training soon enough. And then uh, I, in preparing for today's review, I played some Dune Imperium to get it fresh in my mind because it's Dune Month. Is it coming out? I thought it got delayed. No, that was Top Gun that got delayed to next year. No, no, I thought it got delayed by by a few months. What, Dune? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, October 22nd. We're good. Yeah, but September, yo. Yeah, but remember, we're going to do the Dune games because, like, that'll take us right up to the release of the movie, and then we'll be able to talk about the movie. uh, Okay, okay, okay. There you go. Anyway, so yes. But we're going to talk about that later, so there's no reason yes. to bring it up now. Oh, man. I, yeah. Is that what you did with Ray last night on the, the TTS? Uh, what did we do last night? No, we did another game that we've uh, I've, I've actually played with Ray several times. Legendary Encounters Alien. We've been playing the living daylights out of that. Oh, yeah. That came up while I was on vacation. Uh, they were talking about games like that on, on our Discord. Well, I got to tell you, man, like, A, <laughs> I'm now clearly remembering why that game likes to beat the ever-living snot out of me, and B... I'm also having an absolute blast with it. It is so good. <laughs> but man, sometimes it is merciless. But yeah, Legendary Encounters Alien is, is, is highly, highly, highly suggested. If you've not played it, buy the physical version, buy the expansion deck. Pro tip, only add the expansion drones in if you really want punishment. <laughs> oh my God. So did I... Descent, like Descent, Descent, like the, the, the little hero dudes thing. Descent, which I guess this would be the third edition. Wow, you actually played that. Interesting. Well, that was after. Well, I don't. OK, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's on the it's on the slate for a review. What? This is this is fantasy board game Descent, right? Yeah, this is the new version that just came out. Mm, mm, OK, interesting. Go Google it right now and you'll see why I don't want to talk about it yet. I'm, I'm on uh, ah, I'm on Fantasy Flight's website and it's fighting me. It's called Legends of the Dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, the box is cute. Does it have a box like Lords of Waterdeep? It's like it a, just, du- a triple cavity or double cavity box. Okay, but you can put the lid inside the lid so it's not just sitting out and getting squished like yeah. mine did. Okay. So the, the, the inset part that makes it look like the Waterdeep box is actually a box within a box. But it, it stays uh, elevated, creating a large storage compartment at the bottom. So they put a box in the box? Yes. And, and I'll explain why when we review it. Okay. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Anything else? Uh, oh, and Hadrian's Wall. Okay. Our very own Matt Damon, uh, Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> yes, I did. Because I said um, that out loud, and I'm like, that is a... That is a reference. Yeah, we, we ran right up into Dune month, so Hadrian's Wall uh, review has been bumped a couple of episodes uh, because Dune. Uh, but once we get through Dune, Hadrian's Wall is still there, so I'm, I'm playing it and keeping keeping fresh on the rules. All right. But I, I can't go into it. But yeah, yeah, so a fair amount of good board games, some good board game playing. 
I, I, I got a one last thing because I forgot to put it up top where we would usually talk about this. Yeah. Stuff. So what was our, the last thing? What's the last thing? Our, I, I got a point of feedback from our last episode. Uh, uh, Gina said it was it was kind of negative because I, 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 I <laughs> all over Kingdoms of Warfare and we, we kind of talked poorly about some stuff. So I apologize. I forgot our rule. If we're not if we don't like it, we shouldn't talk about it. I feel bad about that now. You shouldn't feel bad about it. It's an opinion, but we just need to remember to be positive. Yes. Which is why one of the most uttered phrases during our recordings is, no, don't use that. (laughs) Because if this show were live, dear God, there would not be a positive podcast. (laughs) That's true. true. (laughs) I should save my rants for Reddit like good people do. There you go. There you go. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it's break time, and when we return, it'll be time for our Wisdom of Crowds. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And now it's time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about all the news. And there is actually news right now, which is nice. Kinda. <laughs> hey, man. At least we're not waiting for the news to get here on a shipping container. Oh, topical humor that hopefully won't work in in, in a, about a year. Uh, yeah, no. And, and on the RPG front, like RPGs have slowed the hell down because nobody wants to deal with it. And the other problem I hear is uh, because... Printing books is something you can do in the States, you know, because you don't need to have all the components and whatnot. Yeah, we lack the capacity for creating board games here, unfortunately. Yeah. We just don't have the... the, the I, you know, you know, I read something about it. You No, you can do it here because Mayfair used to talk about how they used to make all their uh, their board games here, at least when I owned a store and they used to pitch them to me. The, the problem is I was reading this interesting Twitter thread where it was this lady talking about visiting, you know... Uh, uh, this was it. I don't know. I forget where it was. It was one of the cities with which you make the board games. And she said, like, it's not that we don't have the industrial capacity here. Like you could do it. The problem is like China is straight designed to produce. Yep. And so what do I mean by that? What, what she meant by that was, okay, so you have a board game and we'll just go with a very basic board game where you have to print, you have to have a box and you have to have people. Right. And she was saying like, she toured uh, a factory that made little meeples and she toured like two of them and they were right next to each other and they got their cardboard from a place up the road nearby. And basically as she was taking her tour where she was, you know, looking at all these components, it's like this place can produce the paper. This place can print it. This place can assemble it. It all just flowed downhill to the Harbor. 
it was all in the same spot and they were all like 10 minutes drive from each other. And if you did that in the States, the place that made the meatballs might be halfway across the country from the place where you, you could get the paper, which might be halfway across the country from the place that could print the paper, et cetera. And that's the problem with the US. It's not that we don't have the ability to do it. It's that our cities aren't, our manufacturing centers aren't designed to do it, which I, I found fascinating. I didn't realize that was what the problem was. Yeah. I mean, and, and we also lack a lot of the education. Like we don't have technicians that go to college specifically to learn about printing and to learn about plastics manufacturing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But yeah, yeah. Uh, all of the, the people who can print like RPG books in the States, like they're, they're booked up solid for months. And so like RPG news has just slowed to a crawl because nobody has the capacity to like print stuff right now. And if they do, they certainly don't have the capacity to have, you know, a shipping container cost like t- 10 times what it used to, which is sad. That was a, that was a wet random aside. Anyway, kick us off, Jonathan. What's the news? All right. Well, let's get started. Um, you've heard of Cryptid, right? Well, Cryptid is returning. Uh, there is a two player only version of the game, the sequel of sorts called Urban Legends on the way. Excellent. This is from Hal Duncan and Ruth Vevers, Vevers. I don't know. There's V E E V R S. Vevers, Vevers. I'm probably killing her name. I'm I'm so sorry, Ruth. Anyway, um, it's a, a shorter game, twenty to forty minutes, and it's a an asymmetrical game. One person is the cryptozoologist, and the other person is the cryptid, and it's basically like a cat and mouse game. Hmm. And you have to use the deductive reasoning to to locate the cryptid. I like it. So it's it's one it's a two player only game, uh, which which is not what Cryptid is, and it's part of Osprey's new line of two player focused games. So it's a small box game. So there you go. They are expecting it in April of 2022. Can't believe we're already talking about uh, 2022 news. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gen Con, <laughs> which is looking every day like it may not happen because more and more people keep backing out of it. But Gen Con has decided to mask up and vaccine proof might be required. They're currently uh, talking to their lawyers to see if they can do such a thing in Indiana. But Delta variant, man, kind of sucks. And as far as I know, like people who said they would go to Gen Con and now aren't, there's like a good half dozen companies to a dozen. It's 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 starting to rack up. So, yeah, screw you, Delta variant ruining all the fun. Yeah, ruining the return to normal. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Gen Con. You're going to have to be masked and possibly vaccinated. And it possibly won't happen because they people keep dropping out of it like flies. Dead flies. That was dark. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I love those bug lights. It's so satisfying. You just hear the zap every so often. Like a mad scientist killing something. It's good times. Anyway, Jonathan. All right. Over to you. Well, Hasbro's made an announcement about HeroQuest. They are uh, releasing a companion app for HeroQuest that will take the role of Zargon the Dark Sorcerer, allowing for both solo and co-op play of HeroQuest. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? It's almost like nobody's thought of this before. Oh, <coughs> descent. <coughs> Plenty of people thought of it before. So, I don't know. It's worth it's worth talking about. Like, I mean, you know, I got a deep love of HeroQuest. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think I talked about it in a previous podcast, but the Power Rangers RPG has an, a release date of 2022 20, January, 
It's from Renegade, right? It is from Renegade, and I am curious about it, so I probably will be picking at least one of them up, because they're making a Power Rangers, a G.I. Joe, and a Transformers game, and it sounds like they're all going to be out in relatively quick order. So, But Power Rangers is up first, and uh, I want to get one of them. And I had a long talk with my wife and and, uh, some of my friends, and I think the one that I have the highest odds of actually playing is the Power Rangers, because... If we're going to run a short, like, one shot where we do an episode of two of something, I think Power Rangers is probably the one we're going to do because it's so stupid, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a stupid I can get behind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so originally they were going to use the 5th edition system. It sounds like they've modified it to the Essence 20 system, where instead of just rolling a d20 for your stuff, you, uh, instead of having modifiers for your skills, you actually get dice for your skills, so... Uh, you roll d20 and the dice and you add them together and Bob's your uncle. So we will see how close to d20 it is or it isn't. But yeah, it is coming soon. Oh, and it is set during the Zordon era. So I don't know which Power Rangers show covers that, but Zordon will be around, which will be fun because then you get to do your, you know, you get to do the voice. And then you get to go the <laughs> ay from Alpha 5. That's good times. ay 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 Or I guess like Bill Hader if you're going to do the movie. I got nothing. Anyway, I don't know. I'm excited. It's 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 stupid I could get behind. Like, I kind of want to get G.I. Joe, too, because, like, I think you could do, like, a bad 80s action movie with it, you know? Like Rambo. Kind of that vibe. You don't have to fight Cobra. Although saying Cobra would be a- amazing, right? Cobra! Oh, yeah. Oh. Cobra! Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. The whole time we were watching The Shining, all I could hear was jazz from the Transformers. <laughs> Okay, that was that guy, Scatman Carruthers. Yeah, Yeah. that's why I didn't like every time he said a line. I I, I was half expecting Optimus Prime to pop out of the corner and go transform and roll out. (laughs) All right. Well, Asmodee has announced that they are doing a reimagining of the werewolves of Miller's Hollow, but this time with Disney villains in Gathering of the Wicked. Okay. So you play as Disney villains, you're thrown into a dark realm, and there's a hidden role, and every villain has specific powers, and one team goes against the other team trying to determine the alignment of all the other players. Hmm. So there you go. Gathering of the World is expected in October of this year. Nice. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the news, which means it is now time for our uh, King in All Things segment. That is, of course, our relatively new segment. This is part three. In our 39-part series, where we are watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of their release date, which means we're still in the 70s. No, we're not. Oh, was this 80? I guess it was 80. It was filmed in 79. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, but it came out in 1980. All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're moving into a new decade. So now we have the second film in the series, 1980's The Shining Directed by the Stanley Kubricks, made for a budget of $19 million. It made $47 million. Editing Robert here. So I don't know why, but for some reason, I keep calling Shelley Duvall Shelley Long. Maybe it's because I got exposed to both when I was a child. And Shelley Duvall was that lady who did the, uh, the fairy tale theater. And so she was a kid's actress. And then Shelley Long was that lady from Cheers. So she must be the adult. I don't know. But I keep thinking that Shelley Duvall, Shelley Long in this whole segment. So sorry. 
When I say Shelly Long, I mean Shelly Duvall, and I'm terrible, and I apologize. Thank you. We talked about this about a year ago. I think it came up on uh, A Year in the Life not all that long ago. So it's it, we. I think we both watched it relatively recently. So although, interesting note, I learned a lot more about how uh, Kubrick got his performance out of Shelley Long uh, in between, which puts a whole different spin on this movie, which is kind of disturbing. Yeah, man, it's not good. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I don't know. Should we talk about that? I don't know what we should talk about because we did. We talked about The Shining kind of extensively because we both watched the hell out of it recently or well within the last year. Shall we talk about the film or shall we talk about Kubrick? Because I feel like those are two different things. Do we have anything new to say about the film? I mean, as a standalone film, I think it's brilliant, close to perfect, but missing a little something. Yeah. Have you ever read the original Shining, the book? No, the I've been I've, I've been mulling over getting it from the library, but I haven't quite pulled the trigger on it yet because I. So the King book is 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 very interesting. It mirrors a lot of what you see there. There's some some key plot elements that have changed that I think were better in the book for what it's worth. But the one thing that's missing in the movie, and I don't know whether this is a choice Jack Nicholson made or a choice that uh, Kubrick made, but in the fi- in the in the movie, Jack Nicholson's character is just kind of off the whole time right? He's never quite on. Yeah, yeah. And in the book, it's a very gradual descent into madness. Yeah, I think Kubrick made the choice that he wanted he wanted them to be, I don't know, I guess archetypes. I don't know what the right word is, but he simplified the story a lot because it, like nobody really has an arc in this book or in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, Well, and, and I think that's the problem. That's the only problem I have with the film because the film is a standalone exercise in intention building with an amazing reveal at the end. And I think had they charted it more as a descent into madness, I think this, this would have achieved perfection. Yeah. And you know, maybe not abusing your stars. That's just a thing too. All right. Well, let's talk about Kubrick then. Let's talk about Kubrick. Yeah. When I started reading about this, I started reading about like our tour, directors that have a bad habit of like abusing women to get performances out of them. And it's, it's a surprisingly long list that you can, you can track down if you start looking for it. And I only got as far as Tarantino actually choking a lady out in, uh, in, uh, in glorious bastards. Oh, there's another one where, yeah, it's just like, actually Tarantino's done quite a few kind of messed up things in his career. What's kind of disturbing is like Shelley Long says, has been quoted as saying she spent at least six weeks in near hysterics daily and she had to start carrying around water with her because she would be crying so much her she would run out of tears unless she kept hydrated and it's like mother of god like did you did that need to happen i i don't know but oh well i i'm going to go out on a limb no it didn't need to happen but wow like it it's kind of disturbing to watch those scenes where she's crying just knowing that she you know to get her in the right mood you know kubrick would do a 100 takes and just tell her to stay in that zone I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of disturbing. It's frightening. It, for a while, it was the Guinness Book World Record for the most number of takes, but I think that was one of the Nicholson scenes, right? Yeah, yeah. He he needed to go get sixty doors. But do you know how Kubrick put him in the right mood to play his character? Did you read that? No, no, I did not. Okay, so he would only let him have cheese sandwiches for lunch because he hated those and it annoyed him. And that's how he got his performance out of him. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't know, just the the whole, I don't know, just our tour directors doing weird stuff is just, it's kind of, it's kind of upsetting. 
I don't think that needs to happen, people. Like, just don't. <laughs> it puts a weird, it puts a weird, I don't know, bad taste in your mouth when you're watching the movie. Because, like, oh, just Shelley Long scenes. Like, especially, because I'm sure one of those things where she did take after take was when she was backing up the stairs and swinging the baseball bat at Nicholson in that one scene. Because that's the one where she's just, like, just emotionally breaking down, you know? Yeah. And it's, like, just thinking of, like, forcing someone to do that, like, you know, for days probably because like doing a hundred takes of that, that would, that would be days, wouldn't it? Just over and over and over. I don't know. Ugh. I don't know what to say about it. I don't like it. No, I don't like that either. I mean, like, have you ever read Full Metal Jacket Diary? No, I haven't. Okay. So Matthew Modine kept a diary throughout the, in- well, I guess the entirety of his life, but specifically during the, in- the filming of Full Metal Jacket and he released that with some of his photography in an excerpt called full metal diary. And it is a fascinating read because it is a, it's not Kubrick in the eyes of a documentarian. It's Kubrick in the eyes of one of his stars and talking about the process of getting cast and getting into the film and stuff like that. And how Kubrick would sometimes walk out with the, the set dressers and they would spend hours just moving like one object. Then he'd walk back to the camera and look through the camera and then walk out move one object and walk back to the camera. And that was, I mean, he was just a weird guy. He knew what he wanted. He was like a, a painter and he'd go and, and, and keep adjusting and keep finding exactly what he wanted. Well, yeah. And I think fairly infamously, he would destroy the blueprints for his sets. So nobody could make sequels without him, you know? So that's why like the original models for 2001 and a whole bunch of that stuff, they're just all gone because he trashed them just to, you know, make sure that nobody could reuse them and sell his work or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. Although I will say this. So I watched the first half hour of Dr. Sleep, which we will get to in several, several episodes. The lady they got to play Wendy in that it's, it's kind of incredible how spot on she is <laughs> for, she doesn't like exactly look like Shelly, you know, but, uh, she, she kind of, she channels her very, very well. I have not seen Dr. Sleep, so I'm really genuinely excited about when we get there. Oh, yeah, you should. You, I've heard good things. It's good. I really like Mike Flanagan. Like, I like Mike Flanagan a lot. I, I'm going to go out on a limb. Make sure we watch the director's cut. They have both right now on HBO Max, but the director's cut's much better. It adds in a half hour of stuff that's kind of needed. Otherwise, they kind of gloss over a few plot points. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about The Shining. It's good. You've probably heard everything you need to hear about it. Uh, I don't know. Read up about what happened to Shelley. Because it's it's kind of yeah that'll yeah I mean the, the the real stories aside the movie itself is quite brilliant definitely continues the upward trend from the car accident that was Carrie <laughs> you know it's funny I was talking to my buddy about that and he was telling me that he was like surprised that we didn't like that movie and he kept you know saying like for the seventies but I'm like I I countered with I'm not watching this in the seventies I'm watching it now and even then like even then man yeah. even then it's high school age girls like running around topless in or completely nude in a, in a, in a shower scene. Like what the hell? Yeah. And it doesn't matter that they're played by 28 year olds, you know? No, it doesn't. It's the <laughs> subject matter that matters. It's, it's what you're saying that matters. It's uh, very upsetting. Yeah. Next up, Jonathan, we're going to watch 1983's classic classic. I've heard nothing but amazing things. Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to be making a return to the storied days of Carrie. You know, it's funny. So I went to rent it from my library because unless you have Showtime streaming, that's the only you're going to have to rent it, sir. I apologize. It's okay. 
I'm getting the 30th anniversary edition, which means people cared enough to release a 30th anniversary edition of Cujo, which I didn't, I don't think that movie's that good, but I guess it needed a 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary is a little weird too. Is it like 25 came and went and people are like, oh man, we missed out. We forgot all about this. Has it aged better? I don't know. I am confused. I do not know what to think. It's $3 to rent on Amazon. I think I'll be fine. <laughs> it's free to rent for my library. I'm going to be fine too. I don't have your library. It's 1,800 miles away from me. <laughs> I can't make that in a quick run. Well, you couldn't get a card anyway. You're not a resident. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of a king in all things. Join us in the next episode when we tackle Cujo, which I'm fully expecting to be an absolute car accident of a movie. I have not seen it. I haven't either. Well, there you go. Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Or maybe, maybe it won't be, it won't be like a, a, a poop show. Maybe it'll just be kind of eh. You know, I could deal with eh, you know? Because we got, we got a good ride coming up after Cujo. I'm really excited. Like, I am really excited. It was funny, too. My wife is like, do I have to watch Cujo with you? And I'm like, if you're going to go on the rest of the ride that's coming up, which looks great, yes, yes, you must watch Cujo. You must. So, yeah. Oh, man. We got a great ride. But we got to get there first. All right. Well, that brings us to the year in the life segment, which is, of course, when we take our way back machine and look at a year ago. And we've actually got a little bit of ground to cover here. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So forgot my dice episodes 92, 93 and 94. <laughs> uh, bacon with a side of walk in. Please scream inside your heart. And is he Scottish? Aww. Remember when when we thought the Rona wasn't going to last forever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we took a look at, in no particular order, except the order that they appeared in that I just said, I guess, uh, Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, Rallyman GT, and Legendary James Bond 007, and whatever else we talked about in there. Have you played Thousand-Year-Old Vampire? I really want to. We did. We played it a little bit for the thing. I haven't done it since. I should. It sounds fun. Or it sounds fun. It is fun. I had a good time. But yeah, no, I haven't done it since. I need to. I just, I don't know. I have no... I've been filling my head with Yellow King nonsense. I'm so glad that's almost over. (sighs) But yeah. What about you? Have you played any of those? Rallyman? Anything? Uh, Let's see. I've played a lot of Rallyman, actually. Um, The kids kind of like it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we play play Rallyman fairly regularly, and there's a tabletop simulator module, which I've played with a couple of people that have wanted to learn. So that, that I've played pretty regularly. Legendary James Bond 007, I have the expansion for it. I have not played with the expansion yet, but as I think I said in the review, um, it's not ever going to be the first Legendary game I reach for, just simply because since it's not an Encounters game, it doesn't contain some of the narrative, and I think that's the big miss there. Okay. But that being said, yeah, it holds up really well. Um, It's as as much fun as, as we mentioned before, and with the expansion especially, there's a lot of variety to it. A lot of good variety. Nice. All right. Well, that brings so us to the end of our year. Well, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold uh, on. Uh, no, I'm just checking out what we, we. Oh, man. Oh, man. Episode 93 was The Living Daylights with our, our oh, pal Timothy Dalton. So good. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've watched that two more times since then. <laughs> Which means, unfortunately, we also watched License to Kill. <laughs> Which, oh, what a train wreck. Uh, although not the worst Bond movie. 
Not the worst Bond movie. What was the? Oh, it had. Oh, it, a few to a kill. That had to have been what we watched. That. Yeah, there it is. Wow, it's been a year since a view to a kill, my friend. Oh, which explains the walking reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, oh I was watching. Mr. Zorin. I was watching the. <laughs> <laughs> the Twilight series with my daughter. Oh, it was fun. Dear God. Yeah, I'm was, so sorry. Oh, no, I I had a great time. Those those movies are terrible. I like bad film, and those those hit every note you need for a bad movie. Oh, that was right after I got my Switch because I was playing Super Mario Odyssey. Wow. Good times, man. Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm. Mm. Umbrella Academy. Oh man, Unsolved Mysteries. Ah, I should go back and watch that. All that stuff. It's good times. Oh, and Guillotine. Man, I haven't played Guillotine forever. Oh, do, do, oh man, we need to play Guillotine. Don't we have it on Tabletop Simulator? I think so. Cool. All right. Yeah, we should do that. Anyway, good stuff, I'm people. Down. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Now move us out. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of our year in the life segment, which means it is time for us to take a short break. And when we return, it's time for us to deep dive into Dune Imperium. Do you have a tabletop board game, miniature game or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And today's deep dive, we are doing Dune Imperium. As leader of one of the great houses of the Landstrad, raise your banner and marshal your forces and spies. War is coming! And at the center of the conflict is Arrakis, Dune, the desert planet. Dune Imperium uses deck building to add a hidden information angle to the traditional worker placement. You start with a unique leader card as well as a deck identical to those of your opponents. As you acquire cards and build your deck, your choices will define your strengths and weaknesses. Cards allow you to send your agents to certain spaces on the game board, so how your deck evolves affects your strategy. Defeat your rivals in combat, shrewdly navigate the political factions, and acquire the precious spice. Jonathan, how does this game play? All right, Robert. So this, this game's kind of like, it's a mixture of stuff. Uh, it's part deck builder. It's part resource management. It's part dudes on a map. Um, it's part worker placement. It's just a lot of stuff. So breaking it down is not easy. And and we need to discuss kind of a, a, a lot of what's going on on the board. Because on the board, there's there's a selection of places where you can put um, your work, essentially your workers, right? Your representatives. And so you start out with two representatives and you can expand that later on. Uh, but you're and on any given turn, you're, you're going to be putting down three on a good turn. If you, if you buy a, a Mentat, you're going to be putting down four uh, workers on any given turn. So you have to be very specific about what you do in this game because you have a very limited number of actions. Now, this is one of those games that when it first starts out, it feels like you can barely do anything. And then three or four turns in, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I need to be very careful about what I do because I have so much to do and I don't have enough guys to do it. On the left-hand side of the board, 
you have four different factions represented. You have the Fremen, the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild, and uh, the Emperor, um, basically the Imperium. And they have a variety of different actions available, and they also have tracks on them that um, track uh, basically where you stand with that faction, and that can come into play in a variety of different ways. Then on the right-hand side of the board, you've got a couple different sections. At the top, you've got a green section. Um, that is the the Lanzarad, and that's the governing body. And that is uh, basically where you can do things like hire a Mentat or hire um, more offensive soldiers and things like that. You also have the option of uh, visiting an area that is um, with little yellow triangles, and basically that is spice mining, because this game has a variety of different economies at play. There's the economy of water, the economy of Solari, which is like money, and the economy of spice. There's another section of the board which is kind of blued out in color, and that is where the uh, Fremen hang out, and that is primarily based around spending water to get stuff. And then there's another section that is um, basically just you don't have anything else to do and you can just basically make money or you can sell spice for massive amounts of money. So that's kind of the layout of the board. The last section of the board that we haven't really talked about yet is at the bottom, and that's where you're going to be putting your um, warriors. And we're going to talk about how the warriors come into play in a little bit. But basically, on any given turn, it breaks down into a couple of different things. You're going to have some starting cards. And one of the cool things that this game does is there's an asymmetrical component where you choose a a hero, and that hero has a passive trait and an active trait. The passive trait, like we'll use Duke Leto Atreides as an example, the passive trait for Duke Leto is that he's very popular with the Landsrad. So if you send an agent to the Landsrad portion of the board, the green uh, section of the board, Doing stuff there costs you one Solari less. But then there's also the the active component, which is a special card that gets dropped into your deck. And when that comes up, you get to do special stuff. And in the Duke's corner, he gets to spend a spice. And if you spend a spice, you gain one influence on your faction, which are those four factions we talked about at the beginning that have their, their little influence trackers. All make sense so far? Yeah, yeah. All right, so you start out with these starting cards, and one of the things that you're going to be doing is you're going to have an opportunity to add to your deck of cards uh, as the the game wears on. Adding to this deck and changing this deck is one of the key elements of of the game. In addition, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to buy an additional agent. Agents are the kind of like workers for the worker placement. There's a set number of points that triggers endgame, Uh, which is 10, it seems like that's not a lot of points and you're going to start out thinking you'll never get there and then all of a sudden everybody will just start plowing through points because as you build up reputation with the different factions, you'll be gaining victory points. And as you do certain things within the games, you'll be the game, you'll be um, dealing victory points. The round is built into five core components. At the start of the round, you get your cards. You've got five cards in your hand. And you have an opportunity to um, look through them and see what you have. Now, each of these cards has a a couple different things going on. It'll have a name. It'll sometimes have a faction. Um, So, for instance, if you were to pull the Lady Jessica card, you would have the Benny Jesseret faction on it. Then there will be symbols on the left-hand side, which is what that card can interact with. And then there will be a, a, a gray line and a blue line at the bottom. 
the gray line compare uh, contains stuff that will occur actively when you play the card. The blue line at the bottom is things that will occur if you keep the card, and at the end of the ga- uh, the round, when you reveal, those things will come into play. So basically, on the left-hand side, you've got the different things that it can interact with. So if we continue to use Lady Jessica as an example, she has the green symbol of the Lancerat, the blue symbol of the Fremen, the yellow triangle for the, uh, for the Spice, and she also contains the symbol for the Bene Gesserit. So that means that if you put that card down, you can send your agent to any of those factions' spaces. Make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. So not every character card can go to every space on the board. That's why the deck building aspect is so important. Next, after you put your your card down, you'll get an opportunity to send your agent to a specific place, and then you will have an opportunity to cash in on anything on the gray line of the of the card. Um, so that's usually going to be like resources and things like that. Depending on where you send your agent, some of the a- the agent spaces will have a crossed swords symbol on it, and when you do that, you have the opportunity to add soldiers to the conflict area. So this is important because as you add soldiers to the conflict area, they'll start to pile up and each soldier that you place there is going to be worth two conflict points. At the end of the round, when you do the reveal phase, any cards that you reveal that have text in the blue bar at the very bottom of the card, those effects will then kick in. Um, And if there happen to be swords there, they're worth one additional point. So you can look down at the board and see that maybe somebody has three soldiers worth six points uh, in the conflict area, but that doesn't mean that they won't be revealing cards that are going to alter what that combat score is. Next uh, next part of the round is the uh, agent turn. That's when you start putting cards down and throwing agents into different sections. And then from there on, it's pretty much like Lords of Waterdeep. You put it into a space, and then that space produces a certain number of things. Sometimes that'll come with a cost. Real basic stuff, Right. Right. If you put it into any of the left-hand factions, uh, you also get an opportunity to bump up your rating with that faction by one level, uh, which becomes very important as you start to get higher and higher in those because you'll start to get rewards if you get your rating high enough with the faction. After that, you're going to have your opportunity to do that again until you run out of uh, agents. And once you're out of agents, you will have you will have to reveal. Now, you could reveal before this if you think it's going to help you, but generally speaking... It's very rare for you to reveal when you still got agents that you can put out on the board. And when you reveal, what you do is you reveal the remaining cards in your hand. Because remember, you get five cards, but you've only got two agents. So that means at any given time, you're going to have three or more cards still in your hand uh, waiting. And when you resolve those, uh, when you reveal the cards, you're going to resolve those effects. And sometimes that's going to be resources that you can gather. Sometimes that's going to be influence with factions. But most importantly, sometimes that's going to alter the um the combat scenario that's that's at play finally you get into the combat phase so if you remember uh at the beginning of the round when you first get your your hand of cards something else happens and that is that the um there is a a conflict card that is revealed and the conflict card sits next to the conflict area and that generally has some pretty tasty rewards and there's going to be rewards for first second third and fourth and so what you do is you um, 
send all your soldiers to the conflict zone, and then whoever has the most conflict or the most soldiers in that zone at the end of the round when the conflict uh, happens is going to have an opportunity to win that the the number one reward, and then everybody else will get the second and the third, etc. Uh, and ties, you um, both get the one beneath it. So if there's a tie for first, both of you get the second place reward. It makes sense. And so that's the combat component, which I really like too, because there's the secret component to to that with your reveals, um, the reveal portion of your hand. And that's really cool because that's very Dune, right? That's all the secrets and the lies and the conspiracies that occur in the shadows. Finally, once you've had your reveal and your combat and you've made that all, um, there's a phase called the maker phase. And that is when um, spice is added to the board. So any space that was raided by an agent um, will get its spice uh, renewed. And any space that um, already had spice there from a previous round gets another one added on top. So that means those spaces will get um, more and more attractive as time goes on if nobody raids them. Finally, there's the recall phase, and that's basically where you check to see if anybody scored 10 victory points and triggered endgame, uh, and then you re- basically reset the board. You know, first player marker goes to the next person, players recall their agents, um, and the Mentat, if they were used, goes back to the Lancerad. And that is the basics of the game. It's a little bit Lords of Waterdeep, a little bit deck builder, and a whole lot of fun, like amazing fun. And that's the basics of Dune Imperium. All right. So how does the rulebook go about explaining all that? Well, the rulebook's a little tough. And I don't blame the rulebook because there's a lot going on. The rulebook does a pretty decent job of laying it all out the first time. The problem is that it has to lay everything out in individual sections. And when it does that, you don't get the bigger picture. And it really does. It's, this is one of those games where when you sit down and play it for two or three rounds, all of a sudden it clicks because you really do need to see how all the individual systems cooperate with each other to understand the end game. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in the end, yes, the rulebook does a pretty good job of teaching you everything. It does a very good job of resolving rule questions. Uh, The big problem is that this is one of those games where you really just need to sit down and start chipping away at it to really get a full picture of what, um, what you're dealing with. And, okay, so I'm looking at the board here. The components look like your your standard pieces of wood and cardboard and all that. Yep, a lot of wood, a lot of meeples, a lot of cards. The cards and the the core components are are good quality cardboard, kind of what you'd expect. Um, overall, everything feels great in the hand. It, it's a, a really it's really pretty. And once you learn the iconography, it's actually very very easy to read. You just have to learn what you're looking at. Or is there anything off in the execution of this game then? Because from like from my end, like just hearing you describe it, it looks fiddly (laughs) it appears fiddly once you get into it it's not at all it's not fiddly at all there are a lot of decisions to make and each decision because you have such a limited number of opportunity to uh to basically you know take turns and make things happen each decision has a very heavy weight to it it means a lot but it's not fiddly it's not even remotely fiddly but yes, the board looks busy, and there's a lot to learn from an icon standpoint. But once you learn it, and you could learn this game in about five to ten minutes, um, you're gonna be you're gonna be taking turns like a pro. Is there anything else off in the execution then? Not in the execution. Uh, there is something that's off in the game, and that's when we start talking about player counts. So, do you mind if we jump there for a second? Oh, sure. Okay, so player count is where this game kind of gets odd. 
the game is designed um, for up to four players, but there is a single player mode and there's a two player mode. And and here's the problem: when you when you activate those modes, you're dealing with kind of like an AI, where there's a special deck of cards that you flip, and that deck of cards has the AI doing things, but it does things in a very random way, unlike a person who has a plan in play, right? Right. And and to me, it just it doesn't work. I don't know that the game necessarily needed it. Um, I understand why they put it in because otherwise there would be not enough conflict. But I don't know that this implementation of the AI is is what works. So at three to four players, this game is perfection. It's absolute blissful perfection. It's so, so good. And it needs to be said that you really do need that full, that, that almost full or full player count to, to make this game sing because I don't feel that the AI works all that well. The often execution is the player count. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's unique in that respect. It, it feels like they, they realized that there was an issue with, with low player counts and that it didn't work and they tried to fix it and I just don't think that they hit upon the fix. But it's a pity because at three to four players, this game is is really taut and well-designed and very expertly balanced. Like, there's not been a game where it hasn't been on a razor's edge where anybody could take it. And Jonathan, if you could say one last thing about this game, what would it be? I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love it because it's a good game. And I love it even more because it's a Dune game. And I love it even more because it's a good game that understands what makes Dune interesting and unique and puts it directly into the gameplay. It exists as a game without the Dune license, but it's only made better by that specific license. So that is Dune Imperium by Dire Wolf Digital. Yeah, they they have an expansion out. I haven't played with the expansion. I'm really I'm really excited about getting it because I think that's going to add more variety. Is that the X1? Yes. Yeah, if you see this game, go out and buy it. It's really great if you like those those types of games. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means it's time for some closing thoughts, buddy. Any final thoughts you want to talk about? No, I want to go back and watch my spoopy show. All right. Well, in that case, let's get you there. That means there's only one last thing to do, my friend, and that is be excellent to one another and party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. Music you heard in this podcast was intro by Ellerfield. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.